everything we do has a beginning. of those things end up needing a restart. Let's start again. Yeah. But our God is all about new beginnings. And it all starts with the gospel. Well, good morning. I want to welcome everybody who are here today, those of you who are online or at a uh, off-site campus, chapel, warehouse, wherever you happen to be. Uh, we're glad you're here. It's a good day. Good morning. Uh, I will admit, last night, um, just as I was getting up to preach, while the roll-in video was going and I sitting in the front row, I checked my phone, and uh, the Gamecocks were behind with 50 seconds to go. And it somewhat impacted my preaching. Um, and then God arose, and they won. And so it's a good day. It's a good day for Clemson, good day for Charleston Southern. Citadel didn't play, good day, it's a good day. You know, here in the South, we judge our good days by how football went, and so it's a good day. <laughs> Just laugh a little, it's okay. All right, it's okay. Uh, uh, we're planning six life-giving churches this weekend. Uh, Alive Family Church, Brighton, Michigan, Change Church, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Discover Church, Georgetown, Delaware, Freedom Church, Overland Park, Kansas, Horizon Church, Waukesha, Wisconsin, Seeds Church, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. If you know somebody in one of those towns, yeah, if you know somebody in one of those towns, life-giving church coming your way. Last week we planted 36, 36 and six is what, 42? I asked our office, how many years did it take us to get the first 42 churches? Seven years, two weeks, 42 churches. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That's kind of exciting. Do you like good stories? How many of you like a good story? Stories are important in our life. Somebody uh, here said, telling stories is as basic to human beings as eating. Uh, I like to eat. Uh, more so, in fact, for while food makes us live, stories are what makes our lives worth living. I thought that was good. To be a person is to have a story to tell. You know, sometimes, I don't know if it's ever been that way with you, but maybe you're new in a group. Might be a small group, a work group, you know, just something. And um, if at some point they don't go, hey, let's find out who's in the room, you feel like kind of empty. You know, I don't know their story. I, I, I have a story. like to at least, you know, share the beginnings of it. Because uh, to be a person really is to have a story. I like this one, the shortest distance between two people is always a story. And uh, you know what I've noticed is that we spend probably more of our free time uh, immersed in story than doing just about anything else. And a lot of times it's stories that either aren't true or don't even exist. For instance, how about this? Are you guys familiar with this story right here? This is us. This is a television show my wife and I are utterly hooked on, totally, totally. In fact, it's starting this Tuesday uh, at nine o'clock. I hope you don't have emergencies between nine and 10 because I have an appointment and it's right here. It's right here. This is us. It's a story of like these three kids and their parents and it's incredible. 
and we, we sit in our recliners and we watch it together. It's kind of our date night. And we look over at each other and we are invariably crying, just crying. And we don't even know these people, but neither do you, because they aren't real. But what they do is they do incredible storytelling. In fact, they take every possible human emotion in relationship and cram it into one-hour segments and just, you know what I'm saying? It just gets, it just gets at your heart. Stories, stories. Now, the story might be a video game. It might be a book. It might be, you know, a, a movie or a play. But since the beginning of time, when, uh, you know, uh, human beings in caves, you know, scratched out pictures. There's always been stories and we're fascinated by them. We use them to answer the great questions of life. Why am I here? What's my purpose? What does it mean uh, to be me? They bring uh, order and meaning out of the chaos and randomness of life. I love stories because they have a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And it seems like my life doesn't have those. You know, it's like, it's, it's just all kind of mixed up. But with stories, you've kind of got, got order. Well, we've been studying the book of John for the last few weeks. And the book of John is just a compilation of stories. It's just a whole bunch of, of stories of people's encounter with Jesus. John 1, John the Baptist encounters Jesus. John 2, some people at a wedding run out of wine. Jesus shows up. Story. John 3, a politician named Nicodemus enter, uh, encounters Jesus. He learns about being born again. Josh preached about that. John 4, a Samaritan woman has her life changed. John 5, a man who was lame 38 years. I told his story a few weeks ago. John 6, a whole bunch of people are fed. 5,000 men, probably 15, 20,000 people are miraculously fed. It's an incredible story. I've seen the place where it happened. A blind man is healed in John 9. A dead man is raised in John 11. John 14 through 17, a group of friends share a significant meal together. Uh, John 18, 19, Jesus is crucified. John 20, Jesus raises from the dead. And John 21, Jesus throws a fish fry and commissions Peter to ministry. It's incredible. It's a story. It's just a story of people's encounters with Jesus. And so... As it came my turn to preach this week, I knew the scripture I wanted. It was John 20. It's the last one in John 20 in verse 30 through 31. It gives the purpose for the stories. Look what it says. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. In these stories, which are not recorded in this book. Just stop there. Last verse of the last chapter of John said that there were so many miracles that Jesus did, so many stories, miracles, that um, you couldn't collect them all in one place and fill all the halls. That's mind-blowing to me, mind-blowing. We see all of these stories in all the different gospels, and that's not even a fraction of what all Jesus did and the encounters that he had with people. So, but it says here that the ones that are collected in John have a purpose. It says, those are written, these are written, that you may, first of all, believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's speaking to Jewish people. He says, I want you to believe that he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And then he says that he is the Son of God. That's everybody. For you to believe that he is who he said he was, that's what those stories are about, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In fact, that's, the whole crux of it is that these stories 
point you to belief so that something can happen, so that you may have life in his name, whole purpose of the book. And so today is about story. I, what I wanna do is I wanna, I wanna take some of those stories, I, I'm gonna tell a little bit of my story, like your story, inside the bulletin or worship guide or whatever our current name for the thing you're handing out uh, or, or received today, is a little thing that says, the moment God changed my story was. Maybe you wanna put your hand on that and think about that during the message. And here's what we'd love to do, if you'd be open to it, is uh, if you wanna, if you wanna uh, do one of these, we're gonna put it on a website. You can have your name or not have your name. But here's the idea. Your story is unique, and it doesn't have to be like long, but it's unique. How you, where you were, what happened, how it came. It's unique, and yet it's not in that there are other people who may see your story and go, that's kind of like my story, and who knows? Maybe like the ones in John, it can point someone to belief, and then ultimately they would have life in his name. That would be a really cool thing. And so think about that. You can put those in the offering boxes this week, next week, whenever you would like to. So I want to talk about story and I talk about the story of our life in Christ and um, every book has chapters. I'm only going to have three today. Uh, it would be more like a play, you know, an opening act, a middle, and a conclusion. But chapter one of our story of our life in Christ, what does it mean to have life in Christ by believing? Is an invitation to love like Jesus. An invitation to love <clears throat> like Jesus. You know, Christianity, walking, with God is, is not rocket science. We try to make it a whole lot more complicated than it really is. Group of fishermen, group of everyday blue collar guys are the ones that followed Jesus and replicated the story. Jesus uh, is sitting down with them in John chapter 13 and he's gonna explain kind of their marching orders, okay? Here, here's, here's what's expected of them and, and us. He says this, my children, I will be with you only a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you can't come, okay? Then he says this, a new command I give you. Read this out loud. Love one another. Love one another. One command. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus gathers the guys together, and here's what he's saying. He's saying, it's gonna be fairly simple, not easy, simple. One command, one thing on your report card. One thing, that's all. One, 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 one thing. Love one another. Now they knew that in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, there were how many commands? Does anybody know how many commands there were? Well, there were 10. We know that. That's kind of the encapsulation of it. But you know what? They were 10 of 613. There were 613 commands, and you memorized those, and you did your best to do them. And Jesus has said, simplify, simplify, simplify. One thing, one thing is all. One thing you do, love one another. Got that? Got that? Let's see if they did. And so Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Love one another 
This is what I want you to do. Any questions? Yeah, I got one. Where are you going? Okay. So Jesus replies, where I'm going, you can't follow, but you will follow later. All right? So back to, any more questions? Peter asks, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And so I can see Jesus getting a little frustrated with this. Jesus answered, will you really? (laughs) Really? Okay. Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Do you kind of get the feel of that? Jesus, love one another. Jesus, why can't we go where you're going? You're off track here. Does that ever happen to us? Jesus says, one thing, love one another. Any questions? Yeah, when are you coming again? September 23rd? Is that when the world ends? You know, I mean, I don't know if you've been following all that stuff, but every few years, somebody predicts when the rapture is going to happen, when the world's going to end, makes Christians look like fools to the rest of the world, and usually writes a book about it. And, and if, we just, if we just read this stuff, Jesus dealt with that question too. They asked that one, when are you coming? He said, that's not for you to know. You're not going to know. You're not going to know the days, the hours, the times. You're just not going to know. Here's what you need to do. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to do a series on Revelation in about two weeks because that's the next book, next book that we're reading. And we'll talk a little bit about maybe are there signs of the end times and some of that. And it's good to be aware of that stuff. But don't pick dates. Here's what you do. As you see the time coming, love one another. That's the deal. Love one another. That's the one command. Love one another. That's all we're commanded to do here is to love one another. I remember when I first committed my life to Christ at about 19 years old, I was baptized in love. I loved everybody. People that I normally didn't love, I just felt something toward them. I loved the people that I loved. I loved every, even for a short moment of time. I love New England Patriot fans, just for, just, for, um, just for a moment in time. And then, and then God called me into more graduate levels of love, because that was kind of kindergarten love, you know, and he, he I, I believe it baptized me, it was the Holy Spirit loving other people through me, but then it got a little harder. It's always like that, you know, I mean, I think about even in, in my uh, generosity toward God, I, I remember when I first began to tithe and give God tenth of my income, and there were miracles, you know what I mean? It's like, wow, how did that happen? And then that was tested as I grew deeper, and in love it was the same way. I remember there was a, after I started pastoring, there was, uh, you ever known anybody that you had to love by faith? Don't point, don't point. You have to love by faith. There was a lady in our church that was that way, and her name was Pat. And Pat was socially awkward, and would say the wrong thing at the wrong time and just get under your skin. Anybody know anybody like that? I mean, just, just and, and um, we had a little church. I mean, we had 13 members, and we'd started to grow a little bit. We had about 30 people, something like that. And she's the Sunday school superintendent of all of those people, and I'm the pastor of all of those people, and we have to work together a little bit. And she just chapped me. I mean, it just... And she would come up right before I would preach and say something as ignorant as can be. 
And I would be up here preaching about the love of Jesus and hating Pat. You know, all of it, it's kind of a compartmentalized deal. I knew that wasn't right. So here's how I fixed it. Here's how I fixed it. I avoided her. I had a little office right off the stage. I would go into that office and I would talk to nobody before I preached and I would come out and give the word of God. And that, that way Pat couldn't irritate me. Okay, and I thought I had it going on pretty good. In fact, I even prayed for Pat. I began to pray that she and her husband would be so offended that they would find another church. You know? I didn't want them to go to hell. I wanted them to go to another church. And uh, so I began to avoid her. Not, and I noticed that not only did I avoid her, I carefully avoided anybody who annoyed me. I loved everybody, but I carefully avoided anybody who annoyed me until one day God just arrested me. And I realized that I had spent my whole life avoiding the very people that Jesus spent his whole life trying to engage with. I thought, wow. And it broke me. It absolutely broke me. Broke my heart. The, the idea that Pat was exceedingly valuable to God. That everybody I ran into in any walk of life, those that I agreed with, those that I disagreed with, they were all exceptionally valuable to God. And he had brought her into my life. I call it holy sandpaper. He had brought her into my life to just bring this out that, that I didn't understand that and that I didn't do that and I didn't know that. So I began to see her differently. I began to treat her differently. Now, I'm gonna be honest with you. She didn't change much. She was irritating till the day she died. But she did die. I remember the day that she died and I lived here then and I heard it on, I don't know, some, maybe somebody messaged me or something and I cried and I cried and I thought about her and I thought about how Debbie and I had grown to just love Pat. Now, I, I gave you that story because it's a good one. I haven't mastered the first chapter of just love, like Jesus' love. That's the first chapter of everybody's story. But I'm working on it. And so I'm gonna ask you, how are you doing? How are you doing on that? Are you avoiding or embracing the people that Jesus spent his life engaging. In fact, in fact, as I told that story, here's what happens. As I told that story, uh, uh, somebody came to mind. <laughs> For you, it always does. That's God. How are you doing and what are you going to do to rather than avoid but to engage in love? How's your report card on the only command that you have? As I have loved you, love one another. Here's another question. Are you known for your opinions or are you known for your love? Are you known for your opinions or are you known for your love? First chapter, love one another. <laughs> love as Jesus did. Here's second chapter and that's this. It's an invitation to trust like Jesus. That's new life in Christ. First we love and then we learn to trust. Now here's the problem. Here's the problem. I love chapter one, it's engaging, love, filled with love. Chapter two is where tension is always introduced in a book, in a movie, or whatever, you know? It adds spice, the villain arrives, the catastrophe happens, something goes wrong, adds tension to the story. I don't want to know about you, but I don't like tension. In fact, have you ever woke up and said, you know, 
God, I just wish I could have a tension headache today. Just give me a tension headache. No! We avoid them. We avoid them. But, watch this, tension is an invitation to trust like Jesus. Because oftentimes, tension is about an area where I'm tempted not to trust. And it's an invitation to trust like Jesus. There's a story in John chapter 11 that kind of illustrates that. John 11 uh, is about four friends, close friends. They hung out at each other's homes. Uh, one of them was, name was Lazarus. The other one was Mary, Martha. They were th uh, brothers and sisters. And the fourth one was Jesus. He, he hung out with them. If you've ever been to Israel, you know that they lived in Bethany, and Bethany is just right across the, the valley uh, from uh, Jerusalem's on a hill, and Bethany's on a hill. So when Jesus would go to Jerusalem, he'd hang out with these guys, stayed with them. They, uh, they, they were close. Now, you would expect <clears throat> that, because of that closeness, that when Lazarus, the brother, got sick unto death, I mean, bad sickness, and Mary and Martha sent Jesus a note and said, get here quickly, because they knew what Jesus could do. He's our friend. We've had a front row in his ministry, and we've seen how he's healed people and all that, you would expect that when we had a need or an emergency, that he would be there. You would expect that. Jesus gets the text, and he's with his guys, and he says, yeah, we're not gonna do anything with this one for a couple of days, because this will end in the glory of God. He knows that. Wouldn't it be nice to know what Jesus knows? These guys over here don't know that this is gonna end in the glory of God. In fact, they've got a whole nother story that's playing, okay? They don't realize that. So there's tension, which is an opportunity to trust. But it's a tough, tough thing. See, they, they're, they're confused, they're disappointed. They probably feel some rejection. Anybody here know those feelings? You know, the hollow hopelessness and helplessness that accompanies, accompanies the pain of loss or loneliness or rejection. Maybe you prayed for Jesus to come, but instead you lost your home. You lost your business. You lost the pregnancy. You lost a loved one. And about the last thing you wanna do is trust. In fact, usually in situations like that, we have a couple of options. We can turn to God and trust him for the outcome or turn away from God and feed on the bitterness that comes. But you know, as, as you think about that, a key to trust is perspective. Perspective gets limited by circumstances. Mary, Martha, their circumstances are, their brother's sick, now he's dead, Jesus doesn't come. Somehow they probably know that he could have come. He could have, but he doesn't. And so it Clouds trust and perspective. But here's the truth. God knows exactly what he's doing in your life. And it's based on love. Jesus is over here. We're gonna hang out a couple days. He didn't tell him this, but he knows Lazarus has to die. And that's gonna be hard. But God is gonna be glorified in this. And it's based on his love. Has Lazarus ever died in your life? And you've wondered, where are you, God? 
Where are you? So it's hard for us to see the bigger picture. That was true of Mary and Martha. They couldn't see through their pain. And then Jesus finally does come, and here's what he says, and this is so good. Then Jesus said to them, because they, they vented a little bit, and it's okay to vent to God. They vented. Why weren't you here? Why didn't you come? I mean, you could have done something here. And he said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? If you do what? If you believe, you will see the glory of God. Jesus is inviting them to change the story that they were telling themselves. Because they were telling themselves a story. We always do. When there's a circumstance that comes, you tell yourself a story about that circumstance. And here's the story that they were telling. It was a story of fear and unbelief rooted in fear. Our brother is dead. Well, that was true. Jesus doesn't care or he would have come sooner. You know, that wasn't true. They weren't privy to the mind of God. They weren't privy to the mind of Jesus when he told his guys, this thing's gonna end in glory. They're thinking, if God cared, if Jesus cared, he would have come. Not true. There's no way that this can have a better ending. Well, that's not true either. And Jesus says to them, there's another story. It's a faith story. And if you believe, regardless of what your story is, you will see the glory of God. Glory of God. You may be in chapter two right now. One of our campuses. On the internet, right here. You're in chapter two. You're familiar with tension, disappointment, discouragement. Here's, here's a question for you. Who wrote the story that you're currently telling yourself? Who wrote the story that you are currently telling yourself? If it's a story of fear, then God probably didn't write it. If it's a story of faith, let me show you who the author is. Hebrews 12 and verse two says, look to, let's read this out loud. Look to Jesus, the author. Stop there. Whoa, 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 whoa. Go back. You got it? Got it. We'll have to fix that. I don't know what happened there. I touched the screen. Yeah. Look to Jesus, the what? Author and finisher of our faith. If it's a story of faith, Jesus wrote it. If it's not a story of faith, he didn't write it. And if it is a story of faith, then God will have glory in it, even if you don't see it yet. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? If in the tension between the faith and the fear we believe, we choose faith, we will see the glory of God turn our place of pain into a place of blessing. Mary and Martha witnessed and, and believed and the glory of God uh, came in the resurrection of their, of their brother. And so um, life in Christ 
is an invitation to love. It's an invitation to trust. And let me give you the third thing that it is. It's an invitation to see my life as part of a bigger story. To see my life as part of a bigger story. Charles Stanley says, some things are so important to God that they are worth interrupting the happiness and health of his children in order to accomplish them. That's hard for me and my, for, I understand it for you, a little harder for understand it for me, but I'm a part of a bigger story. We all are. The story that we're all, we're all a part of is larger than the individual parts that we all play. My life is about being used by God to draw others. Just like the stories in the book of John, the purpose of all of those stories was what? So that you would believe, some would believe, and receive new life in Christ. And there were people that God used in my life for that to happen, and now my life is being used in that way for others, too. And so is yours, so is yours. So let me tell you a story. So I'm a 19-year-old kid, and I'm in college. I happened to be at that point at a college, a community college in Denver, Colorado, I only went for a semester to that college and, and I took Colorado history, I love history. Love Colorado history and I heard, learned about a Colorado hero. And her name was uh, Margaret Tobin. Anybody ever heard of Margaret Tobin? Anybody? Okay, I'll bet you have. I'll bet you just don't know. Don't Google it right now. <laughs> Let me tell the story. So Margaret Tobin uh, grew up in, born, grew up in Hannibal, Missouri, which happened to be the same town that the greatest storyteller in America, who would that be? Mark Twain grew up in. And when she was about 18 years old, she moved to Leadville, Colorado, which is a little mining town up in the mountains. And she met this guy, uh, James Joseph Brown. And he's about 11 years older than her, they ultimately ended up getting married. She was proud of the fact that they married for love and not for money. People told her, marry a rich guy. She didn't, she married this guy. But he became rich. He hit gold. He struck uh, a, a, an ore, a, a whatever they call it, a, I don't know, whatever. He made a lot of money. And uh, they were printing money out of the little mine that he had. And so they ultimately moved to Denver, bought this beautiful mansion, I've been in it, in Denver, Colorado, it's down on Pennsylvania Avenue in Denver downtown. Paid $30,000 back around the turn of the century for that, you can imagine what it would be worth now. And uh, she became a kind of a philanthropist and she just traveled and all this kind of stuff. In fact, she was traveling one time in Europe with uh, John Jacob Astor, if you ever heard of the Astor names, the fourth, and they're just having a great time. And she, did, she got a, a a telegram that her son in Denver was sick and so she needed to get home as quickly as she could. And so she took the first boat home from Europe, which happened to be this boat. Anybody know what boat that is? <laughs> I'm the king of the world! Yeah, it was the Titanic. Such luck, huh? So she boarded that boat on April the 10th now, on April the 15th, 1912, it sank. And this is the artist rendition. There wasn't really anybody there, but um, she was one of the last people off the boat because she insisted on helping others to 
find their lifeboat. When she finally got on lifeboat number six, they were rowing away and she saw all these people in the water and people screaming and so she told the person that was rowing the boat who worked for the company that we've gotta turn around, we've gotta pick up people and he said we can't do that because we'll get swamped or else we'll be get sucked in as the Titanic goes down and she threatened him. She took one of the oars and threatened to kill him. She said I will throw you overboard if you don't turn around. Now, depending on which part of the legend you believe, they turned around, rescued people, or they continued on. But because of that, her story was told over and over and over again as the unsinkable Molly Brown. Some of you have heard of the unsinkable Molly Brown. Well, that's Margaret Tobin Brown, Denver, Colorado. And they did movies, and who was the one that played her in the Titanic? Uh, Kathy Bates, Kathy Bates played in the Titanic. And so I'm a 19-year-old kid and I'm in college and I'm hearing this story and some things kind of jumped out at me. And the first was what I call the lists. There were two lists. Uh, people, how did, how did loved ones know whether their, their family had perished in this wreck? They didn't have CNN, they didn't have social media. What they did is they sent out rescue ships and those rescue ships, as they would rescue people, they would send their names back to the headquarters of the Titanic in, uh, in, in England, and they would post two lists uh, on the walls there, and then the newspapers would take those. And here's a newspaper of the day that has the list. In fact, the one list was those known to be lost. That's what it was called, those known to be lost. And the other was those known to be saved. And how they got the list is they took the entire manifest, the 2,200, 2,300 people that were on the boat, and they all started on the lost list. And then they would cross those out as they found one, and they would put it on the known-to-be-found list until finally you had 745 people on the known-to-be-found, the survivors, and 1,595 people on the known-to-be-lost. And even as a 19-year-old kid, that rang true spiritually that there is a list of all of the people who've ever existed. And there's two lists. There's known to, those known to be lost and those known to be saved. And I knew the scriptures a little bit. I knew that John 5, Jesus said, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, God, has eternal life. They're on the known to be saved list, and will not be judged, but has crossed over from the death list, the known to be lost, to life. And so here's what I knew. I knew that my name started on that known to be lost, but what I wasn't sure of was where my name was right then. I grew up in church. I committed my life to Christ as a little, little bitty guy, best as I knew how. Got baptized about 10 years old. But as a teenager, I wandered away from my faith and what I believed to be true. And there were a lot of reasons for that. Pop culture just bombarded my faith. It still does today. College professors bombarded my faith. They still do today. And so what I did was I went on a journey of searching. What is truth? What is real? I watched the movie um, the Case for Christ, I've read the book by Lee Strobel. And a uh, very similar thing happened to me. Maybe someday they'll make a movie about me, but I probably not, because my book didn't sell all that well. But um, his did. But anyway, 
I, I, I went on a, a journey and I studied, are the scriptures true? And I studied from secular point of view and, and, and everything that was known at the time and I studied about the resurrection. Could that be true, the validity of that, the claims of Christ? And I came to the conclusion that I could believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, I had eternal life in his name. And I knew that my name was on the known to be saved list. And I've slept well ever since. The second one was the lifeboats. The lifeboats. Um, if you know anything about the Titanic, you know that that wreck changed lifeboats. Because on the Titanic, if they would have filled every lifeboat as the unsinkable Molly Brown was trying to do with hers, with every possible person, the, the number of potential people that could have been saved, there were 745 that were saved, the number that could have been would have been 960. Which means that 1,200 plus people never had a chance because there wasn't enough lifeboats. And I wonder if that's not part of what drives passion within me. First thing I did, 19 years old, when I really dedicated my life is I started a small group. They didn't start call them that then. Our church didn't even have them. But I had a bunch of people that were on the lost list. <laughs> All my friends, as a matter of fact. And so I decided I'm gonna throw out a lifeline. We're gonna have a little lifeboat here and I started a group. I didn't know what to study. There weren't study guides of things you could study. Somebody told me, why don't you study the book of John? That'd be great, I've never read the book of John. But I knew that if I could keep a couple of pages ahead of my reprobate friends, I could be a leader and it'd be fine. And so I would study a couple of pages ahead, we'd have a group, and you know what? All of them came to know Christ in that group. I think it was part of this. I think today about the passion to start churches and I look at a heat map of just in the United States of 700 churches in the last 15 years and we could now expand that over here to the rest of the world. But these look like little lifeboats, little lifeboats. And I'm passionate that there needs to be more. There needs to be more small groups, there needs to be more lifeboats. We have got to understand that our story is a part of a bigger story. It's a part of a story that's leading people to eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so here's what I wanna do, is, is, is I wanna ask you, what, what is your story? Your story may not be anything like my, my story. My wife's story is nothing like my story. She got saved when she was a kid in church and she kept going and and has just been a Christian all of his life, her life, and that is a better story. That's a much better story. In fact, Jesus, in talking to Thomas, who was the doubter, everybody else believed Thomas had to see it all. Thomas was kind of like me, and Jesus said, that's wonderful, but blessed are those who believe and have not seen. That's an early adopter blessing. That's a, a better blessing. That may be your story. Whatever your story is, which list are you on? Because it's really, really important. And what I'm gonna do right now, I'm gonna ask all the campus pastors to come forward if they would in their campuses, wherever you happen to be. And I'm gonna have everybody bow their head in just a minute. And I'm gonna have those look up at me who um, 
who want to be sure and to know that their name is on those, that list of those known to be found. And here's what I tell you about that before we do it. I've sat in a lot of services since 19 years old. And my faith has gone up, but it's like that, just like yours. But you know, whenever a, a pastor would say, would you raise your hand or would you look up at me if you wanna know that you have eternal life? I don't do that. I don't raise my hand, I don't look up. Because <laughs> I have eternal life in Jesus Christ. And there are thousands of us here that have experienced the same thing. But there are hundreds of us who have not. And I wanna challenge you as we pray. This could be your day. Don't go down with the ship. Don't go down with the ship. Hop in a lifeboat. Give your life to Christ. All right? Campuses, you guys, see you later. Pastors, you pray for them. I'm gonna pray here. Would you just bow your heads? I'm gonna look first on my left hand, your right hand side of this auditorium, down on the bottom levels. And if, if, if you would say, you know what, I don't know that I'm on the known to be saved list, but I wanna be. I wanna experience eternal life through Jesus Christ. Would you just look up at me right now? Would you just look up at me? If you already know, don't look. But if, you, if, if you're saying, I wanna know, okay, all right, okay. Wonderful, I wanna make eye contact with you. Will you just look up at me? Dads, I wanna tell you something. There's some of you that, dads are almost always the last one to go. And you've got, you've got kids, you've got family members that have been praying for you, that wanna be with you forever. Do it for them, do it for you. I wanna, I wanna know, would you just look up at me? Just look up at me, okay? All right, okay. All right, I'm gonna go to the middle section here. Would you just look up at me? You're saying, I wanna be on the right list. Awesome, fantastic, awesome, awesome, awesome. That's great, that's great. Look up at me, great, awesome, 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 awesome. Fantastic, that's so awesome, it's great. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, I'm gonna look on the right-hand side. My right hand, your left, okay, look up at me. Great, fantastic, fantastic, awesome, man. So great, so great, so great. I see you back there. So great, so great. Over on the far side. Okay, look up at me. All right, wonderful, wonderful. Awesome, 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 awesome. I'm gonna go up in the balcony. I'm gonna start over here on the right-hand side. Just kind of, let's make eye contact, okay? As best we can. I know it's dark, God sees you. I wanna see you, okay? I see you under the light up there. Okay, all right, awesome. Move over to the other side, okay? All right, fantastic, fantastic. Okay, I'm gonna pray, and I want you to pray your own way as I pray. God, I thank you for those who are choosing to believe that you, who, you are who you say that you are. We make that choice today to believe. We believe that you are the Son of God. And we now receive your life here and your life eternally. You said that you were going to prepare a place for us and that you would come back someday. And we're gonna trust you on that. We just believe 
In Jesus' name, amen. How about we welcome just a bunch of people who are making a decision?